Don't get me wrong, I love champagne. But if you mention job search networking, everybody just gets it wrong. They think it means sipping a glass of champagne at a networking function. That has a very low return on investment, and it doesn't get you a job, at least not in a hurry. So it's time to ditch that champagne's flute, take your courage in your hands, and set up those oh-so-important meetings. Welcome to Career Chinwags for the 21st Century. This is Season 1, where we're looking at how to survive and even thrive in your career during the coronavirus. In today's episode, which is number two in our coronavirus series, we will cover the fabulous technique of job search networking. I'm going to start with one of my favourite success stories, then I'm going to give you a helicopter view. Finally, I'll get you to think about how do you interact with people who you know, and then how do you set up the meeting and conduct the meeting with these strangers, and then finally, next steps so that you can get started. I want to talk to you about Susie made-up name, of course. Susie was a client of mine in the global financial crisis where jobs were very, very hard to come by. And I can always remember her sitting opposite me at the table and announcing to me that she really wanted a job in a particular organisation. Susie's situation was pretty dire because there were only four organisations of a similar mode to where she'd work in Adelaide and she'd already left one of them and she was actually facing the prospect of moving to Melbourne and commuting and leaving her family in Adelaide. As I said, pretty dire. And at the time, I was probably a little bit too cynical. I can remember thinking, hmm, I'm not sure that you are going to pick up a job in that particular place. But she was just so impressive. She spent five months she set up 157 networking meetings. She put her suit on every day. She got up, she made the calls, and she went out and she did her networking. And guess where she ended up? The place of her dreams and in the job of her dreams. As I said, everybody gets it wrong. They think it's sipping champagne. Now, we all have to do that sort of networking, but as I said, it, it has a very low return on investment. It usually takes you about a year of attending the same sort of function before people actually even remember who you are. So no, it's not going to help you get a job. The next type of error that people make when it comes to networking is they think it's what I call sending out feelers. So they think it means that you tell as many people as you possibly can that you need a job and then you ask them to see if they know anybody who needs somebody like you. It's better than nothing as a technique, but it peters out. Depending on how well-connected your primary contacts, these first people who know you are, then guarantees or that then influences how many other people hear about you. And then that second group of people, those strangers, they're not going to talk about you to anybody else. Why, why would they? Sending out feelers, as I said, it's better than nothing, but it is not job search networking. So I want to give you an example of what job search networking is. I'm going to use myself as an example. I think it's important before I start this story to tell you that I really have a bit of a love-hate relationship with job search networking. I think it's wonderful, but I really have huge call reluctance. And I think it's important to say that because otherwise you might listen to my story and you might think, well, that's all very well for Catherine. She's obviously very confident. I can tell you my call reluctance is quite extreme. 20 or so years ago, I wanted work in Darwin, which is a capital city in the north of Australia. And I remembered that I knew a partner of KPMG up there. And so I picked up the phone and rang Frank and said, quick conversation. Hi, Frank, it's Catherine here. Here's what I'm doing now. 
Frank, I'm up in Darwin next week. I was wondering if you would be prepared to give me 20 minutes of your time to give me your advice on how to break into the Darwin marketplace. Naturally, Frank agreed to see me. I went to Darwin, hoping in my heart of hearts that I'd pick up work from Frank. But I didn't, and you almost never pick up work from your primary contact. What I did ask him in the meeting was, Frank, is there anybody else I should be talking to in Darwin? And he gave me two names, and I saw both of those people. But I'm going to talk to you about only one of those people. Frank had said to me, I think you should go and see Samantha from Ernst & Young. And here's the bit that I struggle with. I picked up the phone and I rang Samantha in a very precise conversation. Hello, Samantha. My name's Catherine Cunningham. Frank suggested I give you a call. I'm a consultant who does a lot of work in the soft skills training area, and Frank thought you might be prepared to give me 20 minutes of your time to give me your advice about how to break into the Darwin marketplace. I'm up there next week, and I was wondering whether it would suit you for us to catch up on a Tuesday morning or a Thursday morning or perhaps one of those afternoons. So that's the very precise conversation I had with Samantha. Now, she agreed to see me and promised me work, but in the consulting world, that often doesn't happen. And she said, look, when you go back to Adelaide, go and see David. And I didn't because I hate this process. But one week I had toast every night for dinner because I had no money and I was desperate to try and find a name. I can remember looking through my diary, David, who's David? Oh, that's right, David. Okay. And so I called David. I presume David saw me because he knew he'd picked up a big contract, but you never actually know why people see you, and really it's their affair as to why they see you. Why do I always use this example? I use this example because I was so broke that if I hadn't picked up work subcontracting to David, I think I'd have to go back and get a job, and for me, I joke about it, but really that's fate worse than death. The second reason I use this example is that I wasn't really happy doing the sort of work I was doing. I wasn't happy running all these training sessions, yet I never would have thought of being a career specialist. And lo and behold, here am I 20 years later, just loving it and still doing it. Job search networking can lead you to a path that you maybe have never thought of that perhaps suits you better than what you might actually be doing now. And then the third reason I always use this example is if I had applied to David on paper, he never would have seen me because I had no experience. So if you have to or want to reinvent yourself, networking is really your only method. When I'm talking about networking with a client, this is usually where I stop. I've given them the helicopter view and I say, look, go away and have a think about whether you really want to do this. There's no point me going through how do you get past the receptionist, what do you say in the meeting, if they're not going to do it. So they go away and think about it and then obviously if they do want to do it, we go to the next stages. The other thing that's probably worth thinking about if you're interested in job search networking is It's a very bossy process. Unless you are a natural at networking, the recommendation is you just follow each step precisely. I can remember working with this young star many years ago, and he said, this is very prescriptive. And I thought, no, it's not. And then I went home and I thought, yes, it is. It is very prescriptive. So let's look at some of the prescriptions, the rules, if you like, of how to conduct the meeting with these people who you know who are called primary contacts. So let's look at what you do with primary contacts. 
The first thing is you need to set up a face-to-face meeting with your primary contact. So many years ago when I was trying to get work in hospitals, I didn't lean across the lane rope at swimming and ask my friend Nancy, who's an orthopaedic surgeon, if she had any contacts for me. I said, Nancy, can I meet with you for a coffee? I want to talk to you about what it is I do and pick your brain to see if you've got any suggestions for me. And if you think back to Darwin, I paid my $800 and I flew to Darwin to conduct that meeting with Frank face to face. Another thing to think about with your primary contacts is to make sure you structure the meeting properly. So if you're meeting somebody who you know well, like Nancy, the meeting could stray into social chit chat and therefore it's important to be very structured. Breaking the ice initially, how's the family going? That should go on for a minute, minute and a half. And then it's time for you to say, can I just take 20 minutes of your time? I'd like to talk through where I'm heading, etc., etc. And then at the end of that 20 minutes, for the rest of however long it is that you're meeting with this person, that's when you do your social interaction. If you keep jumping around in the meeting, it makes you look chaotic. And the risk is that your primary contact will be worried that you'll do the same thing with their contacts and so therefore may not give you any names. Structure the meeting properly. When you have got over your social chit-chat, this is going to sound ridiculous, but you need to set an agenda. You need to let your primary contact know what it is that's going to happen in the meeting. Three things you're going to cover in the meeting. First of all, you're going to talk to your primary contact about your thoughts on where it is you'd like to head. Then you tell your primary contact that you'd like to explain what it is you think you've got to offer the marketplace. And then finally, and this is so important that you say this at the beginning, finally, you're going to ask them if they think they have any contacts, who it would be worth you talking to. It's really important that you let your primary contact know that at the end of the meeting, you're going to be asking for names. That way, as you're talking, they can be thinking of who it is they think it might be worth you talking to. If you leave it till the end, they will be surprised and you won't get any names out of them. Let's unpack those three areas that you're going to talk about that you're investigating. This is the start of your performance. So as you give each of the three areas, pause between them. If you rattle off, oh, I'm looking at uh, psychology, I'm looking at clinical psychology roles in a large major hospital, but I also think I'd be prepared to go into private practice and blah, 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 blah. If you rattle them off, they will be still thinking about the implications of your first suggestion. They'll probably miss your second suggestion and your third suggestion and therefore will not be thinking about names that they could give you. Speak slowly. I'm thinking about clinical psychology roles in one of the major hospitals, perhaps QEH, perhaps Flinders. Pause. And the second area I'm looking at is blah, blah, blah. The next bit is typically very difficult for people. You need to let your primary contact know what it is you've got to offer the marketplace. Typically what I find their first draft is underwhelming. What you want to do when you're talking about your three points of differentiation is be so interesting in what you say that the person remembers it afterwards. It's not enough to make a momentary good impression as you're talking. So I think with this one, you're going to really need to get help from one of those astute friends to help you work out what it is you're going to say. Before the meeting, and I probably should have talked about this earlier, before the meeting, make sure you've researched your contact 
perhaps via Google or via their LinkedIn profile, to select some other people who you think you would like to talk to. That way you can prompt them. Because job search networking is so rare and unknown, even though you've prompted your primary contact at the beginning beginning of the meeting that you're going to be asking for names, there's still a possibility that they won't be able to think of any names. And if you've done your homework beforehand, it makes life easier. So I'm going to give you two examples. One example is how you could frame it with somebody you knew really well, like my friend Nancy. Nancy, I noticed that you know Susie Smith from Flinders University. Are you comfortable with me using your name to contact Susie? That's pretty blunt. Now, if I'd spoken that way with Frank, I I probably didn't tell you, Frank was a very slight business acquaintance. There's no way I'd talk to Frank that way. So with Frank, you might say, I notice you're on the industry board. Is there somebody on that board who you think it might be worth me talking to? So what you're doing with a more remote connection is you're still giving them suggestions, but you're also offering them the opportunity to refuse without then feeling as if they're causing you offence. And the final thing we probably need to talk about with primary contacts is I recommend you do two meetings, conduct two meetings, and then talk to your astute friend or your consultant about what has happened. Typically, I find that people come back and report to me and they think they've been doing job search networking and they haven't. If you are making what I call technical mistakes, it's really important that you correct them right at the beginning before you keep going. What are these technical errors that people make? There's two critical errors that your primary contacts are going to make that you need to fix up. Your antennae have to be up so that you notice whether your primary contact is making a mistake. And the two mistakes they make, typically they'll say, I've got a contact at a recruitment company. I'll give you his name and you contact him. Now that is not job search networking. So you would say, that's great. I'll take his details down. But really what I'm after is I'm comfortable really pursuing my own leads out in the marketplace. What I'd love is and then you bring them back to getting a name from them. And the second mistake your primary contacts are very likely to make is that they're going to go down the sending out feelers pathway. They're very likely to say to you, I know somebody in the um, construction industry, I'll talk to him and I'll ask him if he's interested in you or if he needs somebody like you. So again, your job is to notice that they've made the mistake and then retrieve the mistake. That's okay. I'm comfortable pursuing leads myself. I'd love it if you gave me his name and then I'll give him a call and see what happens. And the final thing to talk about with primary contacts is I recommend you do six meetings with primary contacts before you go near any strangers. With the best preparation in the world, you are still likely to make mistakes. And it's better that you make mistakes with people who know you, who won't look at you sideways and wonder what on earth is happening. Now, in today's session, I've covered what to do with primary contacts. You can tell, as I said, it's pretty complicated, pretty prescriptive. We're going to leave the strangers, the secondary contacts, to our next session. I have a love-hate relationship with it. It is worth doing. Good luck. And uh, that's it for today's session. I think I've probably loaded you up with lots of things to think about. I'll cover off secondary contacts in our next session. Good luck. Get started on your primary contacts list so that you're ready to go when we cover secondary contacts next time.
Now, this is only my second podcast and I still don't have any reviews anywhere and I still don't have many subscribers. So if you've liked what you've heard, I'd love it if you could share this podcast or leave a review. At this stage, I'm still thinking of doing a regular fortnightly podcast. And next episode, we'll look at how to tackle those secondary contacts in your job search networking. Remember, if you want to review what we've talked about, check out the full show notes at careerconsult.com.au. You can find a full article, you can find infographics and videos and any links to tools or resources that I've used to formulate this podcast. I'll repeat that, careerconsult.com.au. And I do a fortnightly mail out of videos and blogs and infographics. So if you're interested, you'll find a sign up form on the website. And I'm going to finish off my podcast this way all the time. This is my hashtag. This is really what I believe about your life and your work. Hashtag why not be happy at work? <laughs>